0: You are listening to The Rock of the 80s on The Wave, KYYX Seattle. KYYX, KYYX, KYYX is the station that we
1: listen to. When the diners at the we're kicking it (laughs) to overtime. Is that
2: Pat O'Day? No, that's the, Pat O'Day's voice there than that's a band called the Dinette Set doing the actual uh, jingle there, Yeah. yeah. I like it. So, 40 years ago at Seattle Center, new wave music. Why do I not remember this? You know, a lot of people don't remember this day. That's why I'm here. That's why yeah. we have this little feature. Twice a week, I come in and talk about local history. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but I talk about things in the past that most people don't remember. Felix is brought to us by Lake Washington <laughs> Windows and Doors. But I was here back then, and I, I do not remember. You probably had other concerns, I The would New guess. Wave Music Festival. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is the Wave Spectacular. Um, it's about New Wave music. We should define New Wave right up front. Um, yes. It's a kind of music that dates from roughly the late 70s to the early or mid-80s. New Wave was a more commercially viable, more mainstream or palatable version of punk and a precursor to that 1990s alternative uh, thing that was so big here with Nirvana and everything. Now, there's no hard and fast definition, no litmus test. I think of bands like... Um B fifty twos or talking heads, R. E. M, the cars, they're all kind of new wave, along with one hit wonders like Big uh, Big Country or Dexie's Midnight Runners, maybe. Those any of those ring a bell for you Dave? No. Uh, <laughs> come on, Eileen yeah. in a Big Country. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm um, drawing a complete sorry. <laughs> Oh, it, Chris is right. Chris is still there in, in many ways. Pretty much. Look at my oh, yeah. look at my
3: Spotify. It's pretty yeah. much all 80s.
2: <laughs> now the Wave Spectacular was a four day music event held between Christmas and New Year's in the old Exhibition Hall in the Seattle Center Arena. And that's the one with the hidden gargoyles. They tore down a few years ago. Right. Tickets were ten bucks a day. That'd be like thirty bucks now, or thirty dollars and eighty five cents to be exact. And for that investment, you got to see six bands. And there are all kinds of uh, big you know, out of town bands coming, big names, some local acts, different lineup each day. We'll talk about more uh, in a moment. Plus, they had free video games, um, a rumor you could watch those newfangled music videos, which were just all the rage then. Lots of local vendors selling stuff the kids wanted. And so much free Hanson's Natural Soda, you could drink it two-fisted. It really was a new wave boat show, as one of the attendees <laughs> described it. Now, in case you've forgotten, 1982 was a watershed year in the Northwest for new wave. In some ways, we were early adopters here, especially when it came to local radio, which scholars point to is one of the reasons that whole Seattle Sound thing came to dominate music in the 1990s. Now, MTV was a big factor, too. That came to local cable systems on April 1st, 1982. And on the local radio dial, KJET debuted on AM in May of 1982. It was mostly automated and pretty underfunded, but they were playing New Wave along with stuff like Tom Petty. On FM, KYYX, that was a jingle we heard at the beginning, became The Wave in September 1982, and it was managed by our old pal, the late Pat O'Day. Now, O'Day had produced all these teen shindig events back in the 60s when he was with KJR, which is probably why The Wave Spectacular now almost seems like it's something that happened before I was born. It has kind of an old feel to it, even though it was about New Wave. It was Monday through Thursday. My pal Ken and I went on the Tuesday. This is one of the bands that was there that night, which they played a lot on KYX.
4: <laughs>
2: oh, man. Very catchy.
5: This is making Sully's day. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Here comes the big chorus. And Greg Kim was one of those guys who got swept up in New Wave. He was doing stuff in the early seventies and he got New Wave was kind of a new new energy for his career. Anyway, now part of the New Wave boat show atmosphere was free samples, and I've already mentioned that free Hanson's natural soda. Uh-huh. But there are all kinds of booths from local hipster or teen focus stores. And that's a part of the Wave Spectacular, forty years later, that really stands out for musician Scott Sutherland. It was more uh, it was more it was more than just a musical event for Scott.
1: When I went up there to that thing, I, I was already kind of, you know, that's why I was calling it a new wave boat show because I thought it was going to be a concert but then it's like, oh wait, there's a trade show going on.
2: And he reminded me of that odd pairing of boat show style booths and businesses like skateboard shops, the new wave fashion store called Kitchy Koo and yes, the Hanson's Natural Soda made an impression on 15-year-old Scott Sutherland too.
1: I thought being from Pierce County that, you know, this is like sophisticated. The Hanson's logo on the on the can was very of its time, very 80s, um, and it said natural on it. And uh, you know, you're you're you want to rebel, right? You want to drink Hanson's. You don't want to drink Coke because Coke is your dad's soft
2: drink or soda. Now, Scott was there the same day I was. He's long believed the way Spectacular doesn't get enough credit as a pivotal event in local music history. In 1982, he was living down in Stelecum, didn't yet have his driver's license. He met a ton of people at that event who con- he continued to run into in the years ahead when he was in these bands like the Dwindles or Chemistry Set or Model Rockets. And though Scott Sutherland spent all his time in the trade show area and missed most of the bands, he did get to see Wall of Voodoo. I feel a hot wind
4: on my shoulder.
2: I dial it. Settle, settle down, Sully. <laughs> he knows the yeah. lyrics. Yeah, no, I've never seen
5: it. I've never seen him know the lyrics to songs like this. Radio.
2: <laughs> so I guess this was going on in Portland too. If we can base it on uh, Sully's wow. experience here. Now, um, the band my friend Ken and I really wanted to see was Oingo Boingo, which was fronted by Danny Elfman, later to become one of the most prolific and sought-after Hollywood wow. film score composers. has four Oscar nominations. I checked. So I also talked to J. Howard Boyd of West Seattle. His cousin was a synth player for Wall of Voodoo, which meant he got to go hang out backstage with Oingo Boingo.
6: The one thing that always amazes me as I look back at that time was that, you know, I was hanging out with Danny Elfman. Before anybody knew who Danny Elfman was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now Howard reports there was no Hansens backstage, but there was lots of Rainier beer. Um he said Uncle Mungo were nice guys, but he missed their set, which included this early hit.
4: The lady down the block, she had a radio, the tiny wanted oh so bad. So we took her the first chance he had, and then he shot her in the leg. <laughs> but this is what she said. Oh, yeah, man.
1: He really
5: We need to start a band. I feel like we need to
2: start a group. Now, um, also there, that same night as everyone in the story. For some reason, Scott Sutherland, J. Howard Boyd, Kenzik, and me was longtime Seattle P.I. pop music critic Gene Stout. Gene says the scope and scale of the wave spectacular was ambitious, perhaps a little too ambitious.
6: I remember, you know, strolling around that night I was there. I think it was the same night you were uh, with Pat O'Day, the great Pat O'Day. And he looked a little disappointed by the size of the crowd. Uh, I'd hope that have more, but you know that's a really ambitious vessel—four days and it was that dead zone right after Christmas and between New Year's.
2: And it really just didn't stick, because KYYX switched to adult contemporary in March of 84, so a little more than a year later. KJET switched to oldies in September 88, and then it wasn't until September 1991, right around the same time Nirvana was on the rise, that KNDD, you know, the end, 107.7, became kind of a, a, a thing that established a foothold. So maybe KYYX, those other stations, even Kazam, that late 70s station, and the Wave Spectacular were just a little bit too far ahead of their time. I guess so. That would explain why I hadn't heard about it
0: I, I mean, <laughs> maybe it'll come back I, I actually was covering a lot of local music back then uh, but I was I was looking for you know quirky local songs like the like the gooey duck song oh that's a good one and, yeah, yeah. Um, sing that one uh Eat a duck, eat a duck, eat a duck, <laughs> eat a duck a day. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's
2: really cute. And then, uh, you know, Riley and Maloney and, and groups like that. Great folk scene here. Yeah, And there were a bunch of local bands here, which we didn't get time to talk about. But it was it was a great mix of local and national acts and a real thing. You had to be there, I guess. Trust me, you had to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Felix Bunnell, all his features at
0: MyNorthwest.com. Thank you, Felix. Thanks, Dave. Seattle's Morning News. Are you ready, commuters, for mixed reality driving? Let's take you to Las Vegas and CES, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show, and WWJ reporter and car expert Jeff Gilbert. I was intrigued by this BMW concept, Jeff. Mixed reality driving. What do you know about that?
6: Well, I would imagine many commuters this morning are doing mixed reality driving of their own, but that's not what we're talking about. I mean, what what we are talking about is vehicles that actually. We'll take, for example, directions from a nav system, put them on the screen, and as you're looking through your, through your windshield, you'll see an arrow on the street that you're about to turn on. Oh, so those wow. are the kind of augmented reality things that, that, that we would see. You know, you would see above your destination, you have arrived, think, think, things of that nature. Because so like a heads-up you know, up display? We're, we're not, it's a heads up display, but a heads up display with augmented reality to help you understand a little bit better where you're going.
5: Interesting. I would imagine that if something like that popped up on my screen, I'd think it would be an obstruction. And, I, you know, I you get used to the technology, I imagine.
6: Yeah, and I've done demonstrations of the technology, and it's actually a lot easier than looking down at a screen on Mm -hmm. the instrument panel. So the whole idea is to make it a little less distracting. So it's right in front of you. It looks different than than the world, so you know it's Mm -hmm. something different, but it helps you as opposed to doing that. Now, which street is it again? When they say (laughs) turn right ahead, you you know exactly which one it is. No, that's not exactly.
5: Sorry about that. I'm just
6: going to say there are also things that can say, watch out for a pedestrian as as they're about to cross the street so so the idea is to make it safer
5: that is nice the pedestrian notification yeah not exactly what consumers are asking for though when it comes to technology in vehicles what they're asking for is uh, more charging stations and mileage they want to be able to go further on a charge Uh, do we see that in the future
6: yeah well I mean those are the things that the auto industry is working on because people know for electric vehicles to succeed they have to be as easy to own as a gasoline powered vehicle and I've driven a lot of EVs. They're not there yet. I will tell you, it's a certain level of hell to try to recharge an electric vehicle in the dark in a snowstorm. I mean, it's bad enough (laughs) to work at self-service gas, but when you're in the corner of a dark parking lot, and you're trying to put that black charging cord on the black charging receptacle with Older eyes like I have, it's no fun.
0: It looks like they've solved the range problem. I'm seeing cars with uh, 700 miles of range, but uh, has anybody been able to speed up the charging process to come anywhere close to the, you know, three minutes it takes to gas up?
6: Uh, The the good news is they have sped it up, but it's more like 30 minutes instead of three minutes, but that's still better than a couple of hours. So we're seeing more and more systems that can get you from 20% to 80% in about a half an hour. That's better, but it's certainly not competitive with a gasoline fill-up. And and the other issue they have to to address is charging stations that don't work. That is uh, an increasing part of frustration from ev owners is they you know they're on a trip they pull off they think there's a charging station there and it doesn't work so that's a big issue as well so uh,
0: and what about uh, the whole self-driving concept what's the status of that
6: you know, it's a year off, just like it has been for the last decade. Uh, that's a little bit of sarcasm, but it, it depends on what company you talk to. I mean, GM is all in on it, and they think uh, that you know we're going to see more and more of these robo taxi fleets. Ford is saying it's too expensive, and we're backing off. What we're seeing here at CES is more systems that offer you limited hands-free driving, like GM Super Cruise. Chrysler's unveiling their system there, where you can get on the freeway, you can drive uh, with, with your hands. Hands off! But there's a little camera that watches your eyes to make sure they're still on the road. That that seems to be the next step that we're seeing a lot of. Hmm.
5: Now, it, it seems to me I haven't heard Tesla mentioned at many of these conventions that they used to be the cutting edge of uh, all of this car technology. Are, are they kind of uh, waning in that race?
6: know, companies like Tesla and Apple consider themselves above things like CES. So oh. they do their own separate events. So Tesla, of course, is, is in kind of an odd shape these days. Their, their stock has been dwindling. Uh, you've got the Elon Musk distractions, things of that nature. So you can expect them to try to make some big splashes earlier in the year because they need to to get their stock price up.
5: Are they still leading the race in this uh, EV? I guess you could call it an EV race or are? more of the traditional companies like Ram or Fiat, like you've talked about, are they jumping ahead?
6: Well, you know, Tesla is by far the leader today. What will be interesting to see as we see more and more competitors coming coming onto the scene uh, is how much of that big market share that Tesla has that they can take away. Right now, the leader among the conventional car companies is Hyundai-Kia. Their EV6 for uh, Kia, the Ionic 5 for Hyundai, and, and some of the Genesis luxury products are, are, are actually ahead of the competition. They sell more EVs than anybody but Tesla. But the gap between number one and number two is quite distant. And expect GM to come on strong because they have three new EVs this year, and we'll see the debut of the Ram EV pickup today. And pickups are a big competition in electric vehicles too.
0: Jeff Gilbert joining us from Las Vegas, Jeff from WWJ, and the host of The Car Chronicles. Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you. Two men suspected of knocking out power for thousands of residents in Darius County on Christmas Day have now been arrested after an investigation involving the FBI and Cairo News Radio. Sam Campbell is here to tell us more about this. Who are these guys?
3: 32-year-old Matthew Greenwood and 40-year-old Jeremy Crahan of Puyallup are now facing charges of conspiracy to damage ener- energy facilities. Court documents say they broke into four substations around the county and ultimately caused enough damage so that it will cost about $3 million or more and three years to repair. Uh, But it was felt by the people who lost power. U.S. Attorney Nick Brown told us for some of those people, losing electricity was a serious health hazard.
1: One person in particular in this case had some very vital medical equipment that was hooked up to her power. And when the power was cut, there was concern about whether she would be able to sustain
3: without it. they were caught because surveillance video from one of the substations helped identify them. And authorities say they brought their cell phones along with them. So the FBI traced their locations off of cell phone towers and found their associated Google accounts linked with those devices. The documents say when authorities went to execute a search warrant on Greenwood, they found two short-barreled rifles, one with a homemade suppressor and another with no serial number. Now, given the photo that they included on those court documents, it appears that the rifle's barrels were manually sawed off. That is illegal. That's illegal, yeah. Uh, Greenwood is also facing a charge of possession of unregistered firearms, and the two could face up to 20 years in prison. So what's the reason? Uh, what's the reason for breaking into the substations? Well, the probable cause documents say the men told detectives it was all part of a plan to burglarize businesses while the power was out. <laughs> Officials say Greenwood admitted to going with Crayhan to break into a local business and steal money from the register, but... Even according to Greenwood's admission, when you look at the timeline, that burglary took place before Puget Sound Energy reported the final substation was attacked. Huh. So to clarify, these court documents we've obtained, they show that they're limited in scope, that they are meant to prov- that they are meant to prove probable cause to secure those search warrants. So it doesn't mean that the investigation is over or that more evidence won't come to light. And Brown says it is still being investigated if they had any political motives or ties to extremist groups. The reasons why they did it, I think there's a lot more fact gathering that has to occur. So So, so
0: they are looking into whether these people were part of some kind of terrorism plot?
3: So the U.S. attorneys have not wanted to comment on that, and that is unsurprising because no to, no domestic terror charges as of now, but federal law enforcement officials have indeed pointed the finger to domestic terrorists saying that they have been calling for attacks on U.S. infrastructure as a way to destabilize government, just not in this case.
5: I think the girlfriend of one of the men, right, has been speaking to local media as well, and she had said that, no, they, they saw that there were some attacks otherwhere, in the, and it gave them the idea that, hey, maybe we could do this for burglary purposes, but who knows, you know, where and, she's coming from on this. And,
3: and yeah, and as is custom, the FBI isn't revealing any details about its ongoing investigations, and they have not linked to the attacks here or the ones that happened earlier in the year at substations in Oregon, Florida, and North and South Carolina.
0: Hmm. Is this like uh, arson, where if you set a building on fire, you're responsible for any consequences that devolve from that? So in this case, you knock out power. How many people lost power?
3: It was thousands. I saw multiple different numbers reported, but in the probable cause documents, there were several thousand listed for each substation that was knocked out.
0: Right. So uh, in the case of this person who needed oxygen and couldn't get it because the power was out, if these guys are convicted... Does that become a, a separate charge? Like assault? Like assault?
3: Like assault? Yeah. yeah. I believe that's a question that will probably be decided in court uh, as to criminal liability.
5: Yeah. I and mean, the because, money. $3 million in damage. I mean, talk about restitution. How do you pay that back? Yeah. I mean,
3: well, what's more is yeah. is that in the probable cause documents, it even lists that says uh, Puget Sound Energy says that while they are repairing these substations, they're going to have to keep the power on for these people somehow, mm. right? So they're going to have to use mobile substations. In the meantime, while well, because at least uh, one of the substations was so damaged that it will need to be completely replaced. Wow.
0: Now, they've got surveillance at these substations, right? I mean, there's
5: there's always video there, I think. Oh, see. yeah. They're on video.
0: They're, so, they have their
3: faces covered. Yeah, they that. were caught on surveillance video. I'm not sure if there was surveillance video at all of the substations, but in, in the court documents, they did include uh, screen grab images from at least one yeah. of them.
0: I'm a little concerned they're revealing all the details of how they caught these guys because that <laughs> seems to me, just helps people get away with it. Yeah.
3: Well, Dave, I think that you're assuming that they've revealed all the details. Okay, ah, good. Ah, well, good
5: point. Oh, yes. grasshopper! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen somebody check Dave like that. Yeah. Um, and also, too, also con- is is that it, it wasn't like a rudimentary like shoot it up the substation, and you know they they knew exactly what switches to pull and move, and they must have done some studying.
3: They kept things a little vague in the probable cause documents for exactly the same reason yeah. that I think Dave just listed yeah. that they don't want to teach people how to turn these things off, uh, but they did say that they manipulated a, a, a type of switch yeah. in the substations, but they did have mm. to manually break into these by I cutting know, but they would have to look locks. up
5: substations. You know, it, again, well, these ties to the t- domestic terrorist stuff, yeah, those questions still remain. We those really switches need switches are
0: in. a little bit obvious. You it's, think? It's, there's a big lever, and there's a red thing, <laughs>
3: you know. Spend a lot of time it's around on substations, on, Dave. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Well, how I, do you
5: know this, man? Uh, I have circuit breakers. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, stop. You will always watch C-SPAN. <laughs> fireworks or no? Uh, You call me. Yeah. Uh, This Daily Dose brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. A Los Angeles teacher is inspiring her young students to spread kindness and help raise money for families in need. Mrs. Lark Krug, the 6th grade math and science teacher at Westchester Lutheran School, says she's participating in Help the Hungry. It's a campaign every year in her own town. And this year, she talked about the importance of kindness with her students on a particular Giving Tuesday. She decided to pose a challenge to her students. Donate a quarter, just 25 cents, and whatever they brought, she would match. Krug said a couple of them gave more than what she asked for. Others immediately scraped the bottom of their backpacks to find some loose change. One of her students made a big gesture, donating $2 for the challenge.
7: That's a really incredible thing. And the fact that it's, you know, $5 could feed 20 families. I thought, oh my goodness, that
0: really isn't, it isn't a lot to ask. And we are trying to teach our our children that small gestures really go a long way.
5: The group ended up that day gathering $5 from what they had in their backpats and what they wanted to give. She matched it. They purchased two notation boxes, and the giving continues.
0: 7.48 and now visiting from the G and Ursula Show, It starts at 9 on Cairo News Radio. Here's G. Scott. I feel like you're the kind of guy who'd be locked into C-SPAN uh, watching this <laughs> drama in the House of Representatives. I was locked in yesterday when I got off from work. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I was locked in because uh, I think the first votes had came out uh, for uh, for Kevin McCarthy and he didn't get in on the, after the first round of votes. And I remember Colleen was still here working and everything, and so I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, how how is this going to go down? Is Brad just going to just stay there? Yeah. Like, look, y'all going? I'm going to stay here till y'all keep voting for me. And then
5: Colleen's like, oh, wow, well, we're going to see. This is and a situation. I said this is a situation where I'd turn to Dave and I'd be like, why are they continuing on with the votes when right? we know what the outcome is going to be? Why are they
4: doing this? So okay, so then I get to the crib. Oh, excuse me, I forgot I'm on radio right now. Uh, then I get, <laughs> I get, I get, I get home. home and the, the number two and then number three yeah, and right I'm right. like okay so what is about to happen now and they're like oh we're going to adjourn into the next day and so basically I saw a cart of pizzas it's like <laughs> man we're going to sit down and talk about this and so I just was wondering I wish I was in the office when Kevin McCarthy is trying to get these votes okay what I got to do to get you guys' is votes you know what do I say I mean what do you want to do you want to be able to uh, you
0: know
5: get away with some things I don't think what? the Freedom Caucus wants concessions I think no. They, they just want. don't want him. No, they don't want
0: him. And then they, want, they want somebody who's more of an ideologue than Kevin McCarthy. And then
4: Matt Gates, you know what I'm saying? He takes to social media. He says, ladies and gentlemen, we have a squatter. Get him. No, he really, Matt Gates <laughs> oh really gosh. said that. We got a squatter. Because well, he's moved into the Speaker's office <laughs> and he's not Speaker <laughs> <Yes>. yet. <laughs> he's like, we can't keep voting. And so now, here we are this morning. The Donald has spoken mm. in all caps. Mm-hmm. I need you to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Well, that's what's changed. That so that's what. So we're gonna see if that is going to yes. bring those twenty votes back. But who? But what do you think?
5: Do you think he has the power to do that anymore? We're
4: going to find out,
5: aren't we? Can <laughs> he control okay. Bobert and Gates and so all of the strongholds?
4: I, 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 I got to tell you this. If you are a Republican, and by the way, brothers and sisters, all due respect to you, you have to be embarrassed by what you saw yesterday. Because that is a window into what is going to be happening for the next two years. I think it depends right on how
5: you define Republican, though. I think there is a split right now in the party. I think that if you are a Republican who supports supports those who don't support Kevin McCarthy, you're going, yes, hold your ground because they believe in what they're trying to do. What they think they're trying to do is to cha- to drain the swamp, to change I, the leadership. I, and this is how you do it. I don't,
4: in my heart, maybe call me naive, I don't think the majority of Republicans. Right. Think like that?
5: No, same. That's why there's only you know twenty. I mean? That's why it's only twenty. Right? But, and, but 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 those but, twenty have a loud voice. Yes,
4: and those twenty and that's what's going to be the problem. I think all but like two of them are election deniers. By the way, just oh. of of just what a coincidence that is. But I don't think the majority of the Republican Party wants that i would think that the majority of the republican party as we saw with the votes wants like hey man what we doing just make kevin mccarthy the speaker why are we doing this but for that to happen yesterday to show a window into what we're going to be seeing as far as how they're going to be voting, the jobs are going to get done. I think we just saw it yesterday, and it's unfortunate. So now the question will be, will Donald Trump's words right. ring and be like, okay, and in all the 20 today say, all right, we're voting for Kevin McCarthy? Because if that's the case, then basically the Donald has some control still over the party.
0: Right. I I I I didn't see uh, Trump's tweet but I think that's significant that he would take a risk like that. Well, it wasn't a tweet. It, it wasn't, was from it, it,
5: his what is it called? Truth, his, Sor- Truth, Truth Social. Social. Whatever. It was on
0: Truth Social, yes. But it, but it's a public it's it's him uh planting a flag basically. Right. He's now chosen a side. Right. Who right. is Kevin McCarthy though? I don't
6: know. Like I mean
4: is, is it the one that right after January 6th that uh, actually blamed Donald Trump for January six, or is it the Kevin McCarthy that a week after that went down to Mar-a-Lago and to kiss
0: the ring of Donald Trump? And they're like, hey, well, and, so I think that he's who he's whoever will get people to vote for him. I mean, that's that's apparently what what this has come down to now. These are individual one-on-one deals for committee chairmanships, for policies. I mean, he, he was close to, um, I th- maybe he has adopted a policy, a rule which said if it would only take five people to stand up to have me removed, right? So he's oh. he's basically um, made it so that he could be like a day-to-day speaker, you know, depending on... Why does
5: he want it that bad?
0: That's the only way he can get it at all. But
5: why that's, would he want it that bad if it comes to that? Some Great
4: people question. have goals, and his Great goal question. is to
0: occupy that office. Yuck.
4: Could you... Could you imagine if the ladies that the folks called the squad held <laughs> the Democrats up yeah. like that in front of the world yesterday? Well, that's why the Democrats are
0: bringing popcorn to the chamber to watch this. <laughs> <laughs>
5: so yeah.
0: G. Scott with Ursula at 9 o'clock. And we go now to Washington, D.C., and New York Times investigative reporter David Farenthold. So, according to uh, CNN, what's unfolding in, in, uh, in Congress is chaos, but it's, it strikes me as just plain old uh, horse trading. So, what's your assessment, David?
1: Yeah, this is far from chaos. I mean, this is, we're used to a Congress where everything has been this way for the last hundred years where these sorts of decisions are made, you know, there's only this sort of a veneer of debate, but like, you know, the decisions are made in the back room and then we just sort of see the result in public. That's why there's been, speakers have been elected on the first ballot every single time for, since 1923. What's happening now, yeah, is the, the guy that the Republicans nominally have as their leader, Kevin McCarthy is a very weak leader, not respected, not feared by anyone and not respected by enough people that he can't get it. So I do think we're gonna see some kind of deal be cut Uh, I don't know if it'll be with the, you know, some of the Republican hardliners that are holding out now will accept the deal and take somebody else or maybe some Democrats will be involved. But something more chaotic and interesting than normal in Congress is going to happen.
0: Okay, now, how do you establish respect? Is it about in this current environment? Is is it about getting uh, Trump's endorsement? Is his is his uh, what do they call him? Truths on Truth Social, where he where he says uh, you must elect. It was something all in caps. Anyway, does is that how you establish respect, or or do you have to um, you have to be a great fundraiser? I mean, what does it take to establish respect these days among Republicans?
1: Well, I mean, you can't do it at a moment's notice. And Kevin McCarthy, we have talked about this, has been the cool dad for the last. Ten years for the for the right wingers in the Republican conference. He's been the person who always told them yes, never told them no. You know, back when I covered Congress 10 years ago, he was saying, you know, go ahead and vote against the debt ceiling. He never told anybody no. He never bent anybody's arm. And that made him popular, but doesn't make him respected. And so you can't invent that respect. Uh, you know, there's a lot of elements of that. You have to punish people. You have to give people what you want. They have to work for them. All the things that Pelosi did, people were afraid of Nancy Pelosi, and nobody's mm-hmm. afraid of Kevin McCarthy, as you can see. So I think he just has, you know, he's he spent years establishing himself as everybody's friend and nobody's boss. And I think that's where we are today.
0: Well, then, so is his candidacy doomed, or I mean, is it? You, I you see, gonna make it. you I mean it sounds like you're saying there's really nothing he can do at this point. To uh, to get the two hundred eighteen votes.
1: No, and you saw this yesterday. I mean, yesterday his final speech before the big vote was like, "I deserve this job," and (laughs) I think that's the problem for him is that the only reason to give Kevin McCarthy the job is that he, you know, this is what he wants. It's something about him. There's no element. There's no way of saying this is about us. This is about a shared goal. This is about what we can do together with me as the leader. It's just I want to be speaker, and you know, so I deserve it. Okay, you but can see why that's not compelling. To everybody.
0: So, all right, so who's gonna? I mean, Jim Jordan, his other, his more conservative competitor, only got twenty votes, I believe. Right? So who is who else is there who could get enough votes?
6: With the
1: caveat that I've almost always been wrong when I predict things <laughs> on your air, uh, I think it'll be Steve Scalise, the number two, really McCarthy. Yeah, Scalise is. I think a little more conservative than McCarthy, but also tougher. He's been somebody who's been on message, who's been pretty relentless and disciplined. I think people see him as more of a leader than McCarthy. He just sort of got into the leadership game a little after McCarthy, so he's always been a step back. And I should say, remember, this has happened before. McCarthy, it was his time in 2015 when John Boehner left, and Mm -hmm. then he didn't get it. They passed over and went to Paul Ryan, so I think that's going to happen again.
0: Well, that's going to be embarrassing, because I understand he already moved into the Speaker's office.
1: I think my prediction is we see him moving out in a couple days.
0: Wow. Okay, now, what does a Steve Scalise speakership mean for – uh making legislative progress is he the kind of guy who's going to focus on biden investigations and i'm fine with investigating biden i don't care i just don't think we should be preoccupied with that there's lots of stuff to be done there's a recession to handle there's uh still supply chain bottlenecks there's uh immigration i mean is, is scalise the, the type of guy who wants real progress or is he a a culture warrior
1: he is a culture war. I mean I think I have very little hope for any actual progress out of this Congress just because you know I saw the last time Republicans took over in twenty ten to me, the real question is like okay let's let's set the bar really low. Will this Congress breach the debt ceiling and cause a, cause a debt collapse? Will they shut down the government? I think those things are less likely. I think Scalise has is, is a better shot of actually getting those things done than, right. like, Jordan. And I think that's why Jordan won't get it. Jordan would like to blow up the world. And I think that's why he doesn't really want to be speaker is because he then has to bear the blame for doing all yeah. these things. So I think right. I think Scalise would be a more effective leader and would do, at least do the bare minimum thing.
0: Uh, by the way, uh, George Santos, that, uh, the, the guy who got elected after lying about his uh, resume – uh, what's his future look? I understand that he's sort of like uh, uh, the man without a country uh, up
2: there.
1: Yeah, he's he's here. He's in Wa- he's in Washington. He was in the Capitol Chamber yesterday. He hasn't formally been sworn in because none of them can be sworn in until they choose a speaker. But he's here, uh, you know, and I, it doesn't show any signs of resigning. It does seem like he's under criminal investigation both in Brazil and here. So I don't know how much longer he's going to be in Congress, but for now, he just shows no signs of backing down. And, you know, he has to be thankful for this chaos about McCarthy. Yeah, that's
0: right. Otherwise, he was was going to be the lead story, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess the next uh, we haven't talked since uh, Trump's tax returns came out. And uh, I looked at some of the reporting on it. and, And frankly, I was trying to figure out. Yikes, how can I get my tax liability down to, like, 5% instead of the 25% it's at? So do yeah. did, we, did we learn anything about that? I mean, you've been saying for years that Trump isn't as rich as, as he's claimed to be, and the tax returns certainly uh, proved that out. But do they show any uh, law-breaking?
1: I don't think so. I, I mean, at least, you know, they don't show any sort of obvious tax evasion. I think what they show is that Trump had made his taxes so complicated that even the IRS— was not really confident that it knew what was going on, I and mean, you see this in some of the notes the IRS wrote in this file. You know, there's 400 different entities flowing through Trump's taxes, and even they struggled to figure out like was he doing it all right? But you know, given that I don't, there's nothing in there that jumped out to me and said, look, this guy is definitely breaking the law. I think more. It's a really complex set of taxes. He's in the business of real estate, where there's all kinds of incredible tax breaks available, and he just didn't make much money. In fact, the only good year he had was the year that he sold the remainder of his father's real estate empire. The other years, mm-hmm. when he was just him on his own, he struggled.
0: I just want to know his secret. I mean, I, I saw that uh, one year he lost like 13 million dollars. How do you lose that much money, and and you're you're still living at a place like Mar-a-Lago?
1: A lot of it is real estate. The real the tax code is written in a way that is just incredibly uh, loose for people in the real estate business. You can take all these paper losses on things uh, and then you know count them against your real you know you, against your real gains. But I just think he he had a lot of bad years. Uh, you know the, a lot of the properties where we can see their their uh, their returns, they're not doing well. But I think it's just the real estate business gives this huge tax advantage to people who know how to manipulate it. Well,
0: okay, but I mean. If it's as easy as, as taking one of your homes and declaring it to be a piece of commercial real estate and then deducting all your household expenses, it, there's got to be some way the rest of us can get in on that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's the threshold, how much real estate you need to have mm. in order to make these shenanigans possible, but he certainly is over it.
0: David Farenthold from The New York Times. David, thank you. Thank you. 847 Seattle's Morning News, and when last we met our hero, Mickey Gomez... She was boarding a rental van yes. in Las Vegas after all her flights home had been canceled mm-hmm. and had met up with the well, well, her wife was with her, of course, uh, and a bunch of strangers. Yes. The lead stranger, a second stranger, and the stranger's child. So you were all in the same boat, right?
5: We we were. Not to oh. mention your kids, too, right? Right, my kids. And your yes. kids were there, too. That's right. <laughs> Real cast of characters.
0: And so you're all stuck at the airport because all your flights have been canceled. And, you, and, you, were, and you, you had met this stranger who was also trying to get back to Seattle like you were. Right. And then you decided what?
7: So we decided to rent a van, and we had decided that if our standby flight that evening had been canceled, that we were going to rent. And I was, I, I was, I went, when it finally happened, we just jumped up and ran. We collected our bags, we went to the the rental carousels, and we finally found Avis thank goodness for Avis, because they were the only ones who had vehicles. And I even asked them, how are you the only one here who has Vegas, uh, who has uh, cars in Vegas? And they said, we don't know. <laughs>
5: but what way. do you need? This is your yeah. And
7: so it, it was. And we, we said, listen, we, we need a rental and we need to get home. and like they a 10-person van. Right. That's... We we got an expedition. And when, when they said, where do you want to drop it off at? We said, Washington. And he said, oh, n- no. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. Another hiccup. And I went, I looked at it and like, at this point, I'm about to cry. Right. And I just said, remain calm. Just don't don't become a TikTok uh, famous person and go off. So I, I was I was immediately kind and said, I, I understand. But here's the thing. He's got to get to a funeral. We need to get home. I need to get to work. And I've got kids. And uh, he said, let me look in the computer. I don't know what he was looking for. But he said, ah, I've got an expedition. It has Washington plates. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Take it
5: home. Wow. And I went, are you kidding? Just so happened to have one with Washington. Just so Place. happened to have and it
7: just so happened to cost us mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of money. How much? Oh. Tell us. Come on. So, $585 for the rental, 250 for the deposit, and then gas, and we're talking about every time we filled up this expedition it cost about $120. Whoa. So, we didn't care. We needed to get home. He yeah. needed to get to a funeral we sharing it with and a we couple of strangers. And we were sharing it, strangers. that's right. Yeah. And so we, you know, we put it on the credit card and we said, "Bye and we ran out of there and the first thing we did was we went to McDonald's to feed the kids and then I said let me call Sully of course, <laughs> because I need to know how to get home, and I know that Sully, you do you do some cross country driving to Montana, oh, yeah. so I yeah. know you know
3: the routes. Yeah, I don't drive to Vegas very often, <laughs> so I was like, I'm not sure I can help you, and you can't go ahead and tell him what the first thing I said when you called. He
7: goes, Mickey, hi, are you okay? And I go, Yeah, I'm all right. And I said, Listen, I need I need to I need to ride home. I need to figure out how to get home. And he goes, You know what? Um, I'm about six beers in, so give me ten minutes. Uh, give me ten minutes, and uh, and call me. Back and I'm gonna look up the best route for you. Yeah. So then I, we hung up. We went through McDonald's and I'm like, "Ooh, he's six beers in." No, this that is was Sully. kind he's of an got exaggeration. <laughs> I mean, I, I, no, he,
5: that is Sully though. He, he will drop whatever he's doing, even if it's his beer, and <laughs> he and will help you. I
7: was so grateful for him because we could have gone through California, and we weren't going to go that route because it would have taken us too long. So we ended up driving what. I believe to be the most dangerous drive of my life. We went through the Columbian <sighs> River gorge, oh my, and um it was pretty petrifying because I actually saw trees fall down mm-hmm. and stop traffic, and the wind was like wind I'd never seen before, and I was crying oh. and and my kids were in the back and 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 the little one was were in the back driving? too. I was not driving Sam the truck driver was oh, actually driving you had a this national
0: truck driver with you. I oh, did amazing.
7: he well, he great. drove and he looked at me and he goes. It's gonna be okay. And, and I and I actually took video because I'm like mm. I need moments of my I need video of my last moments on this
5: earth. <laughs> you need to prove this amazing. <laughs> this adventure. really didn't yeah. happen.
7: And then um, and then I saw a traffic stop on 84 eastbound. There were 18 wheelers for miles just sitting because they had to close the highway. Oh my god! And then um, and then when when we finally made it through there, and uh, I just I, I was exhausted. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. What did
5: but, you guys talk about with strangers on the way? Cause that's a long how long did this take you to get from Vegas to 17 18 hours in a car you never stopped car. except for gas we stopped for gas that was it.
7: gas and food like but when we got food we did got gas did you bond like I think we bonded with Sam Dave was pretty quiet in the okay. back um, he and his son uh, his kids bonded his son bonded with my kids because you know they all liked the same things and mm-hmm. I think we talked about um, we didn't talk about politics or religion well no we did talk about religion a little bit because I wanted to know about Sam's religion he's uh, sick. Seek. Oh, seek. Seek. Yeah. seek. yes, well, yes. Thank you. Actually
0: it is pronounced sick. But it's, it's pronounced sick, okay. yeah.
7: And um, and so I learned about his religion, and we talked about life in Canada because that's where he's from. Oh, and um, he found Canadians. I did. What are I, the well, chances you
0: found a Canadian truck driver?
7: Well, because Look we were that. in Detroit, so he yeah. crossed over, and he crossed, he you know, went through the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. And he had to come here for a funeral. His family oh. lives in Renton, and so uh, it was it was really interesting. He was telling us, you know, about life in Canada, and it's really different. And just uh, those are the things we talked about. And then we talked about, you know, how I'm old enough to be his mom because he was 25. Yes. And I mean, it, and ladies, very single man, very handsome. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I know that he and, and I play you probably on the same his team. team. his number. But. I do. He and I have been texting. But no, I
5: mean, so he's just made like. you kind of friends out of this, too. It could have turned out a whole lot worse.
7: It really could. There was a moment when we were in Utah and I was driving. I took the first leg and I'm like, uh, it's one thirty in the morning. Everyone's asleep. Oh. What? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow! They're they're trusting me. They trusted you enough to fall asleep, they did, including Incredible. the truck driver Sam. Wow! And and then I'm and then there's a moment in my mind where I'm like, what did we just do? <laughs> like these people are all strangers. the adrenaline has run
5: out of your body, and now you're right. like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, but this shows that how many.
7: Just good people, good people there are out it there. It restored right? my faith in humanity because here we are, three complete, four. My my wife was asleep in the back. She slept a lot of the way. I wouldn't let her drive. She's teeny tiny. There's there's no way. I mean, the I'm expedition. just very. I'm like, no, 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 lady, you just watch the kids, and and you're okay. You're fine. Just relax. Um, but there was a moment where I just went, wow. We all have our differences, and we put it aside, and we didn't care. We just knew we were humans and we had to help each other out. Mm. And that restored my faith in humanity. And when I made it home, I cried because oh. I had really 2022 was a tough year. It was, Yeah. And I just thought, universe, thank you for showing me that when we need it, when we need help. Help is there.
5: Yeah. And we came together.
7: And I will never do it
5: again. (laughs) A Good story, Mickey. Thank Thank you. you. A two-day epic. Wow. Mickey got That's amazing.
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross.
5: And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930.
0: And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.